topic out of the book of Ezekiel, chapters 5 and 6, regarding the remnant. Starting verse 1, we're not going to be reading all the verses out of these two chapters, uh, but a good portion of them. Chapter 5, verse 1, Son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor, and pass it over your head and your beard, and then take scales to weigh and divide the hair. So they had barber's razors, and, but he says, don't use the barber's razor, I want you to use a sword. And he's got a specific reason, a specific purpose for using the sword as opposed to a razor to cut his hair and his beard. And we'll see that here in a little bit as the story continues. God had Ezekiel do a lot of strange things, uh, as we saw past week and, and, and this week we'll see. And you shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are finished. Then you shall take one-third and strike around it with the sword, and one-third you shall scatter in the wind. I will draw out a sword after them. So he has this illustration, cut off your hair, the sword, and then divide into these three portions equally. Burn one portion, take another portion, chop it into pieces with your sword, and another portion, throw to the wind, which eventually will get chopped with the sword as well. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I set her in the midst of the nations. She has rebelled against my judgment by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the nations, for they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. So this judgment that he's predicting is going to come upon Jerusalem and because of our sins, against the Lord. And the reason that we are judged and judged more wickedly than all the other nations is because God has given us his statutes to walk in. So God has given us his, his ways and his uh, plans and his blessings and his instructions. And if we walk in them, God's blessings and protection would be around us. And so that's the extra um, blessings that come from the Lord that he called upon us to live the certain way, but not just for ourselves and not for a boastful prideness, but he put us in the midst of the nations for a purpose, so that God's word would be shared and spread to the other nations so they would have God's statutes as well, so they could walk in them as well and be blessed by them as well. All of God's commandments, all of God's laws, all of his statutes are for our own benefit. And they bless us as we walk in them. We benefit from them as we walk in them. And as you look at Jerusalem, especially in, in, in the then-known world, um, there's even a map of, of the world uh, that was drawn, depicted, and it's got, one, oh, it's got Jerusalem in the center, it's got one oval to the south representing Africa, it's got one oval to the, to the right upper corner, or the, the, the biggest north, um, Northeast, uh, representing modern Russia and, and Asia, and then another bubble, so equal three equal uh, portions, uh, going towards the northwest, and that represents all of Europe. And so Jerusalem, right there in the heart of it, to anyone traveling between those areas would come through uh, Israel and come in contact with God's word. At least that was the plan. So God said, I set her in the midst of of the nations. God specifically picked that spot because of its location and placed his laws there, placed his people there to share it on this amazing trade route 
uh, that would take place. And that's why so many of the wars took place there, and that's why so many of the nations wanted that area. That's one of the reasons. Another reason is because Satan did not want God's people there and God's word proclaimed there. And so it becomes a big war scene all over the years. And so he called us to this high calling, as the scriptures say, not because we were better than anyone else, not because we were more worthy, not because we were more popular, populated, not because uh, uh, we were smarter or any other way, um, but just because he wanted God's word to spread from there. And so he chose us basically because Abraham chose God. And, uh, and, but we were chosen for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring everyone else on board as well. And so that everybody can be chosen, and it's kind of like a tag team. Once you tag it, then you're on, and then you've got to go tell other people as well. So we're chosen to tell, uh, and that's the purpose, and to bring in everybody who's willing to come in. And since we weren't doing that, and since we weren't walking in his statutes, God says this judgment will come upon you, and you are judged more highly because you have this knowledge. Well, the same applies today. As God has given us his word, and we have it available to us, especially in this nation, in so many different uh, translations, and so many different versions, and, and so readily available in, in every hotel room, and, and uh, on the internet, and, and sold in many stores. We have it available to us, and so we are held accountable for the light that has been shared with us, just as they were held accountable for the light that was shared with them. And in the judgment, that's what it's going to come down to regarding us and all the people of the world. What have we done with the amount of light, the amount of knowledge, the amount of wisdom, the amount of God's word that God has shared with us? And so judgment will be on this graded scale based on what we've had opportunity to know. And if we refuse to hear, then we'll be judged on refusing the opportunity to know. And so that's the judgment more than any of the other nations. And then verse 7, it says, and goes on and says, nor even doing the judgments of the other nations. Thus says the Lord God, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments in the sight of the nations. So God executes the judgments so that the nations would see what happens when we the blessings, so that they would see the blessings when we follow it, and the judgments so that they would see what happens when we do not. And we're judged even because nor even doing the judgments of the other nations. The other nations that weren't, didn't have God's word, in some ways had a higher standard than we did at times and at this time in history. And today also. Some things in the world have a higher standard, things that are happening in the news right now. There's judgments coming upon person after person in the person uh, in the news, whether in, in Hollywood specter or, or politics or various different lines that are getting held accountable by the world itself for wrong deeds, and yet within religiosity for too long that has been excused and painted over because of forgiveness or for whatever reasons, or to not be, have the the, the congregation or the denomination or the, or the religious group shamed. And so it's been hidden away and tucked away and buried away. And leaders just moved around to hide their sins instead of dealing with them. And God will judge on a higher scale because of the 
word of God that we have. And not only the word of God, the knowledge that we have, but God also, when he gives his word, he gives his spirit so that we have the power to obey as well. And so when we reject that opportunity, when we reject that power, we have the opportunity to know and walk and then the ability to do so as well. And in rejecting that, and cheapening God's grace, and cheapening God's forgiveness, and trampling over his laws, we will be held to a higher accountability. And rightly so. And that was happening then, and the same thing is happening today. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. There is mercy, there is grace, there is forgiveness because of the sacrifice of Messiah. And all of us have fallen short of the Lord. All of us have broken his laws. All of us have sinned. And we all need forgiveness and we all need mercy and we all need his grace. And we can all embrace his sacrifice for us. We can all surrender our lives to him and have our past mistakes washed away and cleansed away and forgiven. And there is redemption. There is forgiveness from the Lord, and there is transformation that takes place and transformation of heart and life. And God's record in heaven is washed clean because of the blood of the Lamb. But there are still consequences that need to take place here on earth as well. There are still repercussions that need to take place here as well. And, uh, and that's been glossed over for too long. Verse 12, one-third of you shall die of the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. One-third shall fall by the sword all around you, and I will scatter another third to all the winds, and I will draw out the sword after them. That's in plain words what Ezekiel was called to demonstrate with shaving his head and burning a third in the fire in the city itself. One-third getting cut to pieces with the sword of the Babylonians coming through and destroying the city. And then one-third would scatter, but the sword would follow them and catch up with them as well. And so destruction. When you have one-third and one-third and one-third, there's not a whole lot left. And in chapter 6, verse 6, in all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste and the high places shall be desolate so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down and your works may be abolished. Thorough cleansing God did. And it to start over with Jerusalem let it burn down to the ground and the cities with them. The sins and the stains of the sins were so horrendous. Verse 7, The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And we're going to track this on another week. Throughout Ezekiel, he says, And then they will know that I am the Lord. Sometimes it's in blessings, and sometimes it's in judgments. Uh, let me see something. Okay. 
verse uh, 8. Yet I will leave a remnant so you may have some who escape the sword among those who are scattered among the nations. So among that one-third that gets scattered, that the sword comes after them as well, there'll be a remnant that remains. So that's got to be a very small number, right? One-third destroyed in fire, one-third killed by the sword, one-third scattered, and among that one-third, a small remnant will remain. God preserved us. I mean, miraculously. I mean, after all of that, with the Assyrians coming through about a hundred or more years before this, and dispersing the ten tribes and taking them captive, and then Nebuchadnezzar coming in and three different sieges and, and taking people away, and then the total destruction of the city, and for 70 years, for a remnant to survive, not only physically survive, but survive in faith and survive as a people is miraculous. But God promised a remnant would remain and come back. And God did that and we were able to come back from various different tribes, from all the tribes a remnant comes back. And then in 70 AD, the whole scene takes place all over again. And this time for close to 2,000 years. Scattered. But a remnant survived. It's absolutely miraculous. I don't think there's any other people group under such circumstances without a country, without a language, without a homeland, without a nation to protect it, surviving close to 2,000 years of dispersion. Because God promised, and God said so, that a remnant would survive. To give glory to God. To demonstrate that God is able. That nothing is impossible with the Lord. That his calling and his promises are sure. He promised to Abraham, and Abraham committed to him, and God has kept it alive for a purpose and a reason, to bring us to this day. Yet I will leave a remnant. That word is used again in Revelation, and Peter just froze. I can't see what it says. <laughs> I don't know. It's froze again. It's saying something. It wants to update or something. So you would leave a remnant in Revelation 14, 12. It says, or 12, 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. The devil hates us. The devil goes and all down through the ages to make war against God's people. And down to the very end of time, and he describes the remnant that he goes to make war with, the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. God preserves us and holds us fast. 
A small remnant of all the nations, a small remnant of all the believers, a small remnant that have this unique characteristic of keeping God's commandments and having the testimony of Yeshua. As simple as that is. The entire word of God. The law and the prophets. The commandments and the Messiah. Down through the ages presented. God gave the commandments to Moses and God gave to Moses a prophecy of the Messiah. God gave to Adam and Eve his laws and he gave to Adam and Eve the promise of the Messiah. The Messiah came and he said, I came not to destroy the law or the prophets. All throughout the scriptures. Two simple things. Balance of law and grace. Mercy and truth. We saw that again this week in studying the book of Proverbs in our midweek Bible study. Mercy and truth shall lead you and guide you and direct all your paths. As simple as that is. It's been rejected by the majority. One one side or the other. One side rejecting the Messiah, another side rejecting the laws. And in rejecting the laws, it goes back to then excusing the sins. And that's which in the situation we are today. That's why God calls it a remnant. So simple. Inseparable. One helping each other. The law leading us to the Messiah. The law showing us our need of him. The law showing us our, our, our need of forgiveness. The law showing us where we fall short of his character. And then the Messiah providing the forgiveness by being the sacrifice. Providing the mercy. Healing us. And then the Messiah providing the Ruach, the Spirit, to come into us. And empower us to keep the commandments. So the commandments send us to the Messiah. The Messiah fills us with his Spirit and sends us walking in the commandments. One helping the other. And then as we have the commandments, we then sense our need of of God's Spirit to keep us in His commandments and keep us walking in the right way. And so both continually cycling and working together like a wheel in a wheel. Simple as that is. So hard for the masses to grasp. There'll be a remnant that will honor God, keeping his commandments and trusting in the grace and power of the Messiah. Verse 9, those who escape will remember me in the nations where they are carried captive, captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which departed from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations. 
So not only will he preserve a remnant, not only will he preserve a small amount, he'll lead us in repentance. He'll give us the gift of repentance. They will loathe the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. The remnant won't walk around saying, well, I've survived, I'm still around, all the rest have been slain by the sword or the fire or the pestilence, and so I am chosen, so I am great, and I am wonderful, and I am better than them all. We will loathe ourselves. God's remnants see ourselves in the light of Calvary, in the light of the Messiah, in the light of his love, in the light of his glory, in the light of his walk, in the light of his perfection. And we see how far we fall short of him and how we've trampled over his laws and his statutes and his ways. And it causes us to hate ourselves, hate our carnal nature, hate our unclean thoughts and evil motives and selfish imaginations and our resistance to God and leads us in repentance to be forgiven and cleansed and renewed and restored and remade, recreated, transformed and empowered to walk day by day in his will. And so it's a continual process. He lifts us up, we walk, and as we walk and we grow more in him, we see more of him, we see how much further we, we are than we realized. It's kind of like mathematics. You get an A in third grade, you think you're on top of the world, you're ready to take the SATs and you know calculus and whatever. And you learn the next level, and it blows you away. <laughs> and you loathe it. I can't understand this. It's so hard. The teacher works with you, and you learn, and you grow in that area. Until the next area. And there's always more to learn, and there's always a higher level. And the same with God's Word. So, so how can we loathe ourselves and be walking? Because it's a continual growth. It's a continual growing. So he takes us and transforms us and gives us victory over that area. And then he reveals us the next area, and then the next area. And so it's a continual growing, continual revealing of areas we didn't see before. And it's not actually, I did it this way, but it's really a this way. Because <laughs> the closer we get to him, the more humble we get before him. The more we realize our dependency upon him. And the weaker we are, the stronger we are in him the more dependent we are on him, the more he can empower us with his spirit. When we think we got it, there's not much he can do to help. It's hard to help a little kid trying to carry something heavy when he's trying to carry it all on his own. <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> and when we let him carry it, Let him carry our burdens and to fill us with his spirit and walk in us and out of us. It's glorious. And then he takes us to the next level and shows us more. And the more we become like children, the more 
we realize our need of him, the more we let him take full control and trust in him. And the more he's able to do. And interesting in these verses, those who will escape will remember me in the nations where they were carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which departed from me. And that's why we'll loathe ourselves. We'll loathe ourselves because we see how our actions crushed God. It's easy to think of sin on just the human level. Of what I did to you or how I messed this up and how it affected me. And, but how it affects God. God is crushed by our sins. God is crushed. His heart is crushed when we depart from him. When we unite ourselves with the things of this world, it hurts him. He uses the word like a harlot, adulteress. God has married, he's committed himself to us. He signed the marriage contract to us. He's betrothed himself unto us. He's given himself for us. And when we turn from his love and reject his hand, it hurts him. It crushes him. And he feels our pain. And when we see God in that light, when we see what our, do, our sins do to him, crucifying him afresh, crushing him under every time we rebel against him and choose not to walk in his way. Like walking over his body. When we see him in that light, it causes us to loathe the sins that we have committed. And then he's able to pour out his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his compassion and wrap his arms around us. It's so much easier to wrap your arms around a crying child who's sorry that they did something wrong than it is for a child who's denying that they did it and blaming you for, for it and yelling and screaming back at you. And when we come to him, He's then able to embrace us and lift us up and say, I love you, my child. Go and sin no more. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I bring this calamity upon them. When we see him as he really is, crushed for us, killed for us, broken for us, pierced for us, and loathe ourselves and come to him, we will know that he is the Lord. And thus the conviction that he has brought to our hearts and minds, the guilt that he's 
raised up in us will not be in vain. The rock bottom that he's allowed us to hit will not be in vain. Because it'll work out our salvation. It'll work for our good. For the good of all those around us. God's word does not come back void. Isaiah chapter 55, 11 says, My word shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it out. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. It has not been in vain. God's word has not become void. God's promises are sure. He has promised a remnant will remain and a remnant has remained till this day. And a remnant will remain till the very end. And then on into eternity. The choice is for us. Whether to accept his word and accept his promises. To accept his gift of repentance. To accept his transformation. To accept his mercy and his grace. To accept his love. The choice comes down to us today as well. And so as we prepare to pray in another moment or so, we think on these things. We think of our own lives. And the sins that we've committed, the sins and mistakes that we've made, may we see them in the light of God's heart and how it's hurt him and how it's crushed him. As David cried out against you and you only, I have sinned. Our sins killed the Messiah. Let us surrender them to him. If we have any sin that's on our record currently, any known, cherished, rebellious resistance against God. Let us surrender it to him and accept his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. Secondly, if there's any aspect of the remnant that's missing in our lives, whether we're missing the commandments or we're missing the Messiah, let us ask the Lord to give us both. And, you know, we really can't rightly say, well, I've got the commandments down pat, and so I just need to add the Messiah onto it. <laughs> or I've got the Messiah thing down pat, I understand him and I love him, and I just need to add the commandments on. Because we didn't really understand the commandments unless we understood them in light of the Messiah. And we really never understood the Messiah, Yeshua, unless we understood him in light of the commandments. It's not two totally separate things. It's really one thing. They come together. Mercy and truth kiss each other, embrace each other. They're one. The mercy seat and the commandments are together in one Ark of the Covenant, Ark of God's promises. It's one, it's all together. And unless we receive it as a package, then we've never really received either side. And then basically like, 
Moses, we need to really unlearn everything and relearn it all anew. To truly learn grace in light of the law and truly to learn law, the law in light of grace. And so if that's been in your life, maybe you've had one part or the other, I know it's a defective part and need to throw it away and get the, the unified part all together, see them in harmony together. And let God start that process today. In a moment when we pray, just ask God to start that process. God, help me see your word together as one whole, flowing together. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you promised it would not come back void. Thank you in just reading it tonight. It has touched our hearts and our minds. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for being touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Thank you for receiving our punishment, not just physically in your hands and in your feet and in your side, but allowing your heart and internal organs to be crushed. Thank you for loving us and attaching yourself to us. We want to Apologize for the adulteries that we've committed against you, for the times we've turned our backs on you and your ways and your commandments and your statutes and your laws and your plan and your purpose. We want to ask forgiveness for not sharing the good news with others, for not being a light to the nations, for letting them pass right before us and not giving them your word. for not seeing you in the blessings and in the calamities. Thank you for forgiving us and cleansing us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Yeshua, for being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Thank you for your spirit. Fill us, transform us, empower us, and live in us and out of us. For your honor and for your glory. Give us the balance of grace and truth, of mercy and law, and live that out in us and out of us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.